We made this. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. Welcome to another episode of Red and Buried Podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Frankie. And we have the magnificent Simon Toyne with us today. Hi, Simon. Here I am in all my magnificence in my (laughs) messy kitchen with books spilling out everywhere. Oh, what a kitchen. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm eyeing up those shelves. I'm trying to see what you've got going on. There's a lot going on there. Oh, um, oh, yeah, there's loads going on there. (laughs) Oh, look, there's my book. uh, Very subtly based based out there. Whatever. (laughs) Seamless. What else have we got? A biography on Gil Good, which I haven't read. Uh, there's loads of things there. Oh, 100,001 songs. That's there because what we do when we're cooking is we open that randomly and just pick a song and play it on Spotify. What a great Amazing. idea. Love that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really good. We found some like, because you, you miss loads of stuff, don't you? You listen to stuff mm. you like. You listen to stuff that's kind of adjacent to the stuff you like. But it's quite hard, especially... Now you don't browse anymore, mm. you know, and Spotify says, oh, if you like these, you'll like all of these. The algorithm will tell you what. It's very hard to discover new stuff. Mm. So so randomising it with the 1001 songs there, which is 1001 best songs, you just sort of um, just uh, people can pick and you put it on. I love and, uh, that. Yeah, no, so there you go. I recommend it. That's my tip. That's the end of the chat. Yeah. Bye. And Bye. done. <laughs> yeah, what's the best song you've discovered from it? That's good. Um, oh, there's a really, there's a really good one. Um, and it was very, I just had a really bad day and I was flicking through and there's a song by, oh, is it Half Man, Half Biscuit called National Shite Day? <laughs> really, I recommend Perfect. it. If, yeah. If you're having a bad yep. day, just say, say, I'm not going to say it because Alexa will listen, but say, <laughs> play National Shite Day. And it's, um, there's a brilliant lyric in it, which is, uh, there's a, got, no, there's a man with a mullet gone mad with a mallet in millets. Whoa. I mean, what's not to? I mean, what's not to love about that? That's a tongue twister, and also half man, half biscuit describes my perfect man. So that everybody wins. <laughs> there you go. It's, it's, it's everyone's winner. There you go. Listen exactly. to that. Brilliant. Wow. Well, I what a great start. I've got a little bio to read about you, Simon, and then we can get into. I mean, I'm loving the music chat, but we are here to talk about you and your books. Yeah, yeah. So Let's we'll try. It's, although, yeah, I'm sure we've got a lot of great stuff we can talk about. So here is the bio. Simon Toyne is the best-selling author of the Sanctus Trilogy, and his books have been translated into over 27 languages and published in 50 countries. His background was in TV production before becoming a full-time writer, and his CBS show, Written in Blood, is currently available on ITV, where he interviews authors on the real crimes that have informed some of the best thrillers out there. His latest book, The Clearing, is the unbearably tense and twisty second novel featuring female forensic specialist Dr. Lawton Rees. After the first installation, Dark Objects, though both books can be read as standalone, we like to say at this moment. This time, Lawton is brought in to consult on strange disappearances around the Forest of Dean in the isolated village of Cinderfield. The locals pin the incident on runaways and even the local myth of the Cinderman, but Lawton doesn't believe in monsters. As she tries to uncover the deadly truth around missing women, it becomes increasingly clear that everyone in Cinderfield has something to hide. And while she investigates with the help of DCI Tanil Khan, something is watching her from the shadows. Outside of writing, Simon lives in Brighton with his family and at least two dogs. As well as being a very talented writer and interviewer, he's also very kind and, according to Will Carver, who I saw recently, very suave. Oh, little Will Carver. <laughs> little Will Carver. 
funnily enough, I know Will because we debuted at the same room. We so we sort of were newbies on the scene and we like kind of kept in contact. Although I haven't seen him for ages. However, my new book, which is the third of these, so you've got Dark Ooh. Objects, first one, the clearing we're talking about now, and the third one, which is currently I'm just about to finish. Ooh. The killer, the baddie in it, is called Billy Carver. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> and I asked him, I asked because well, I was thinking of a name and, 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 and you know, names are hard because you sort of, if you get them wrong, you know, it's the hook upon which everything else hangs. So you need a good, good hook. And it just, I was, I just needed a name and kind of, I kept, I thought of Billy Carver and then I thought, oh, that's Will Carver. Maybe I should ask him. Otherwise you'll think I'm <laughs> And he's, of course, he was delighted to be this kind of brooding presence throughout my third book. But yeah, there you go. That suave, is a really he good said. Killer name. Suave. He described me as suave. He did because uh, I I saw him recently at the book launch for Sam Ripley's new book, and uh, oh, yeah. we, we were chatting about Harrogate, and he was saying how you were doing a panel together at Harrogate, yeah. and I said, "Oh, he's coming on my podcast in a couple of weeks," and he said, "Oh, he's just so suave, isn't he?" And I was like, "Well, I'll let you know." Is that a good thing. I, I think so. Suave, I don't know. Suave reminds me of sort of those nineteen seventies lounge lizards, you know, wearing a blazer and <laughs> we don't judge. Around. I mean, and I just like I don't possess a cravat. I have to say, well, there's still time. I he meant it as a compliment. It sounds well, well, sure well intended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he. I think it's because I generally dress a little bit better than your average crime writer, <laughs> male really? crime writer, female crime writers, knocking it out of the park. Mm. Always glamorous and lovely. Men, you know, it's that I am a crime writer. I'm just going to wear a sort of motorhead t-shirt and some old jeans. Whereas <laughs> I tend, you know, I will dress up. No, I mean, I don't mean dress up. I mean, just I'll put on a suit. And <laughs> Clown outfit. We saw the poodle picture. I mean. And... Yeah, the poodle. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's me. That's my, that's the weekend look. <laughs> Strong look. It's a kind of Brighton fetish thing that we should probably shouldn't talk about. It could do with a cravat, I do think, but we can. You think? Work. A little cravat yeah. there, maybe. maybe. Yeah, maybe. But this is Harrogate. Harrogate can be the cravat. Harrogate. This could be the Maybe one. I should do that. Oh, do you know what I'm doing? You know, uh, Harrogate. There's always a play. You know, there's yes. the author dinner on the Friday, and the, and there's a play. And I've done it twice already, and I've, I've put myself up for it for a third time because it's quite good fun. Because you you get to kind of I'm a, I, I I used to do like amateur dramatics and all sorts of stuff, and wanted to be an actor at one point, which is a long time ago. And um and so this is my little chance. So this year I've volunteered again, and I always they always seem to cast me as as a, some kind of suave idiot, like upper class <laughs> idiot. So I'm doing it again, I, and he's called some I can't remember what he's called. He's called something like Marmaduke Ponsonby or something like that. <laughs> that's me. So I'm doing that, Harry, as well as the panel with Will. Um, I'm doing I'm doing that. So yes, I'll I'll, it, I'll channel my inner suave for that. Might wear a cravat for that. I would say you're being typecast, but I think it sounds like it's right. So just go well, with it. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm tall as well. Tall seems seems to go with suave, you know. Yeah. Somehow you All don't the get right short objectives. Suave. Yeah. You don't get you don't get short suave people. Oh, so I think we're going to get a lot of emails from uh, well, angry short suave people now. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. Well, fine. People. Napoleon was pretty suave. Yeah, he was. But you know, it's a, it's one of those weird things that it's a myth that he was like unreasonable, uh, you know, uh, peculiarly short. Like Rishi Sunak. Well, like, yeah, no, it's the same kind of, well, I think Rishi Sunak is very small. It's very small. Um, and, um, no, but I think the point when you look at it, it's one of those things that it's kind of gone into, it's like a myth that he was this tiny person who basically invaded the world to kind of overcome his shortness. And you have, Napo- you know, Napoleon complex. But I think if you look at the facts, he was sort of average height for the time. They were all tiny back then. 
Mm, that's true you know if you go to wander around these old villages and these old pubs in particular i just have to wear a crash helmet because i just bang my head the entire time. <laughs> doors are like this high yeah. just poor nutrition you know everyone was midget. yeah and it's hard to look suave in a motorbike helmet as you're walking around a tiny village it messes with the suaveness so even a cravat can't save that look nothing <laughs> no, 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 with blood pouring from your head no exactly <laughs> Yeah, well, you can't carry that off. No amount of nice clothes is going to carry that <laughs> off. Wow. Well, speaking of myth and legend, not quite the same as Napoleon, but let's bring this back to The Clearing, which Sarah and I have both read yes. and thoroughly enjoyed. Well, well, that's good. That's a great start. Yes. <laughs> Would have been awkward otherwise, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, and funnily enough, it's um, so... Yeah, the, so myth, the, the mythology of the Cinderman, which is mm. this sort of uh, ghost, or this kind of bogeyman who lives in the forest of Dean, who uh, there's a backstory in it, as you know, mm-hmm. uh, where his origin story really was. So he was a charcoal burner because the, you know, the forest used to be full of charcoal burners and smelters and woodworkers and all this kind of stuff. It's, you know, it's where it's the forest where most of the timber for Henry VIII's warships came from. And um there was there's a story in it of like during a time of a great famine, uh, this charcoal burner sort of went off to try and sell some of his charcoal, and his wife went mad basically, and um, and 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 did something bad, and uh, he comes he comes back, and um, his daughter's missing, and so then his ghost is still haunting the forest, looking for his missing daughter, and then present day, there's lo- lots of girls going, women going, dis- young women going, dis- have disappeared. Over a period of twenty odd years, and the local police don't seem to be that bothered by it. They're like, "Ah, oh, it's probably the Cinderman. Yeah, they're all, run- they're all runaways. <laughs> Case closed. Yeah, whatever. They'll <laughs> turn up. You know, all that kind of stuff." And so, my hero, Lawton Reese, who's a criminologist who sort of is an academic, who kind of looks at cold cases really, but she works with the police has been looking into this and the intersection between folklore and real crimes where people go, oh, it's the Cinderman. And she's like, no, it's not. It's someone's up to something. And uh, and someone goes, uh, disappears. And another woman goes um, goes missing uh, after the Midsummer's Eve parties. Uh, and her sister is very insistent that they the police investigate it properly. So she forces the the, the guy, the, the the very reluctant sergeant, to f- who says, oh, well, you know, She's been arrested. She, oh, we know her. She's a party girl. She'll turn up. She's probably gone off with some guy. And she forces him to file an, a proper missing persons thing because she's her sister and she knows better. And because Lawton is investigating this, a kind of alert pops up saying, new person's disappeared in the forest Dean. So she goes to investigate. So city girl going into small closed community full of secrets, asking difficult questions. What could possibly go wrong? Nothing. <laughs> Definitely. It's a very short book, then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the original title was The Cinderman, and um, and I like The Cinderman, but um, my I think it was my American publishers mostly said, "Oh, we're a bit worried. It sounds too horror," and they're very sort of on the genre thing. And the clearing's fine because it's mm. all the clearing is the name of this sort of off grid community where all a lot of the missing girls either went to or spent time in so there's definitely a sort of question mark hanging over there and it's a sort of it's a kind of character in itself it's as much character mm. as the cinderman so so it became the clearing and now it is the clearing thanks for clearing that up nice. <laughs> terrible <laughs> yes you're good oh you don't encourage me you'll only get worse from here I've got to ask, where did the inspiration come from for this story? Because when I was talking to Frankie about it previously, I was like, oh, I reckon there could be an element of inspiration from the Slender Man in there. Yeah, well, it's sort of, well, it's the whole, it's Slender Man, 
it's I'm even mentioning the book Spring Hill Jack. There's lots. Yeah. Of, you go back in time. There's lots of and Candyman. You know, all mm. these. There's lots yeah. of sort of real and fictitious urban myths about you know sort of spooky, mysterious characters who haunt certain areas or are after something very specific who people are warned about you know and 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 I kind of discussed it a bit in the book because Lawton talks about it because she's been mm. you know doing a paper on it and she sort of says you know it's um like that they arise from closed communities where if you don't if you have there's no explanation if someone disappears and there's no explanation and no one's looking into it you have you kind of want to find an explanation and so in the absence of nothing um sometimes and, and certainly in the not too distant past when superstition was rife and you know people were very religious and so and kind of by by definition believed believed in and kind of supernatural forces around you know the idea that it was a an evil presence that had done it was so probably more comforting than your daughter's just vanished and you're never going to find out what happened to her so yeah so it's sort of it kind of explores that a little bit um and and in in a sense Lawton who's very much you know very pragmatic and a skeptic of all this sort of stuff in, in trying to help the sister find her missing sister her missing sister if you know solve this mystery is almost like her kind of you know having proof of concept that it's there's, there, are, there are real life explanations to things rather than supernatural sort of plucked out of the air ones. Yeah. I love a good skeptic. <laughs> we all fantastic. love a good skeptic, don't we? Yeah. We love a skeptic. Who do we like? Mulder or Scully? Well, exactly. I mean, folklore is fun, isn't it? I love the whole. No, no, I love it. Of course, I mean, that's (laughs) you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have put it. Yeah, it is, and um, but also, I think it's. uh, Well, I think what it does is it taps into that thing that we all, you know, that innate need we have as a as a creature for stories. You know, we need Mm -hmm. stories, we need explanations, we want we want a framework that makes sense of things. And even if it sort of feels like a reach, you still you still kind of crave it and need it. And so, because otherwise, you know, what do we have? We have the sort of yawning more of of, of uh, the universe and chaos and that's and entropy and that's terrifying. So we like order, which is why we like, I think that's why people like crime fiction. I think mm. it was P.D. James who said, wasn't it, that, you know, crime fiction is, is starts off with chaos. There's a murder. The, you know, the natural order has been upset by some, someone's missing, whatever it is. And the whole pu- purpose of the, bo- the book and the story and telling the story is a journey towards the restoration of order. And that's why yeah. I like that thing. One of the many reasons. There's also, you know, the blood and the, <laughs> and the you know, good stuff. The, goo- the gooey stuff. We like all that too. Yeah. <laughs> I think as well, what I, what I really enjoyed about this is throughout, it's very, immersive with that kind of folklore it feels I, I read some other reviews as well on goodreads as part of my research for our, our chat you went into goodreads i did i dove and you came back days. alive oh my god well, i'm glad you did i'm never going in there it was a bit like the clearing <laughs> it's just like the clearing yeah it's just like the clearing oh my god yeah it is you go into those dark woods and you have no idea what's lurking there yes they <laughs> say there is a monster that writes There's bad reviews about very good books I think when I uh, when I first started, someone, another author, uh, warned me about Goodreads and said it's a bit like a chicken going into Nando's. <laughs> and I think that's pretty good. That so, is yeah, very we, true. We tend to avoid. But your reviews are very positive. You'll be pleased to hear. Oh, they're great. Yes, they are. They are. <laughs> they are. And Phew. people and people definitely really enjoyed how spooky the kind of atmosphere was. Even though it's not a horror, it's definitely entrenched in that kind of heavy folklore mystery and that kind of unsettling feeling throughout of is this supernatural or is this a real life serial killer you know it's that kind of fun in between that obviously it gets 
no spoilers, obviously, but uh, it gets to, it does get answered later down the line. But it's that kind of unsettling uncertainty that kind of really makes you kind of it makes it compulsive i think but i think well you know that's like i you know we all start we're all, all authors are readers and we're all we all start off as readers first and i think you know the reason you pick up a book and engage in a story is for many reasons but one of them is you want to you kind of want it to to remove you from your from the humdrum of your present because you know you know life is dull really there's fun bits but there's a lot of drudgery <laughs> and stuff and grown-up things that you have to do and you know mortgages and bank accounts and tax and you know dull listening to the news and getting sad you know and all of that and so we need you know we need an escape I think it's you know a very healthy thing um and part of that escape is I think is is you know as well as reading about interesting locations and places that you'd like to go or maybe would not like to go I think it, there's there's also that emotional dislocation that you get with a book, you know, and particularly something that's with heightened emotions sort of, you know, at the heart of them, like crime. Crime and crime and romance really are the two biggest sellers. Mm. And I think both of them, what they do is they shift you into a sort of an emotional space, a heightened emotional space that you don't necessarily get in your everyday life. And so, so you know, with all of my books, really, I'm sort of very, very, uh, I spend a lot of time thinking about the tone of it and the pattern, the visual palette of it as well, mm. you know, how it looks, you know, I sort of, you know, I come from TV background, so I've got a very visual sort of take on things. And part of the thing that helps me write a book is I, I, I always sort of imagine a certain color palette of how it would look. So like in my previous series, you know, Solomon Creed, the first one set in the desert, and I imagined it very bleached and white and everything. And even my main character is like an albino, so he's kind of white and his hair's white, everything's white. And then the second book, I wanted a contrast. So it's set in the south of France where it's immediately green and lush. And, you know, and with these books as well, um, I, 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 the first one set in London, and again, it's quite urban and has a very sort of kind of steel and steely glass and blue thing going through it. And this one, I wanted it again to be big contrast. So having that sort of the shadows you know, of the, of the, like I think in the, going to have to check because I can't remember, because uh, but at the beginning, there's a quote, I think. He says, yes, there's a couple it. of quotes. <laughs> there's a couple of quotes, I know, but I don't know. You see, I've, they always change. Do you want your AA Milne or the... Uh, no, 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 I've got it. I've got it. So the traditional saying, even on the brightest day, the forest is filled with shadows. Traditional saying, anon. I made yes. that up. That's not a traditional <laughs> saying. That is anonymous. It's behind the curtain. You're allowed. It's like, the, it's like the, uh, the Cone Brothers did with Fargo when they said this is based on real things yeah. and everything else. You know, they made that up. It's fiction. But no, it's true. I kind of like that notion of, and, you know, forests are just great. I mean, they are creepy. I mean, I, and I was, I mean, I love writing. I love horror and I love reading horror and all that kind of stuff as well. And so I always, with a book, try and sort of, yes, it's crime and it's a thriller and they like to put you in a genre. And I'm, mm-hmm. I have a contract with HarperCollins to write thrillers. But I always try and write, I always try, I always try and give you, you know, two for one. And yeah. so with this, it's definitely got a kind of folklore horror sort of thing. Whilst, whilst not, stretching it too far to the point where it you kind of go uh you know you have to play fair with the reader and like solomon creed was was a western and a thriller as well and so it's sort of it's just a way of me sneakily trying to write different types of books but within the framework of commercial fiction have you got another subgenre in mind for what you'd like to do next um well i'm the one i'm writing nearly finished the one where billy carver is the bad guy <laughs> Good old Billy Carver. Good old Billy Carver. It is very much a sort of is a kind of tick, is a pure ticking clock thing. So basically, mm-hmm. someone's 
settling old Billy Carver is settling old score, scores from he's just out of prison and he's kind of going back for all the people who he blames and doing all that. And so they have a list of people and they're chasing. And I kind of love those sort of things. Those, yeah. Yeah. those very direct ticking clock things. And I hadn't really written one of those, you know, where, where kind of the people who are trying to stop him also know the targets. And so it's a question of who gets there first. And, you know, I, I quite like that where you kind of intercutting between the people trying to do stop it and the person trying to, and you know the bat, and the bat is just one step ahead. And as a reader, you're kind of invested. So yeah. there's so that, which is very much more of a sort of traditional Hitchcock type, you know, direct. It's more like a suspense thing. As soon as you put a clock on something, it becomes mm. a suspense thing. So that's I'm doing that. I'd love to do. I mean, I'd love to do fantasy. Mm. I'd love to do fantasy, and I probably will at some point. And also, when in, I used to read loads of sci-fi, um, mm. and I'd love to do a sci-fi at some point. Uh, it's just time as much as anything. Yeah. There's a ticking clock. <laughs> There's a ticking clock Build on suspense. me as well. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> it, my life is a suspense sequence, a very slow, very dull <laughs> suspense sequence. Wow. That is a that is a blurb for a book if I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. That'll be flying off the shelves. Save that, that for the autobiography. Mm. So you're writing a slightly different subgenres across your different series. Um, but I'm curious, does the process change much between that? Or is it, do you have kind of a rhythm that you follow now when writing? Uh, I've got more of a rhythm than I used to. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think because I came from TV where everything is planned, my first few books I plan, I plotted very carefully before I even wrote anything. So I sort of really spent ages working on an outline. And the more I've written, and I suppose the more comfortable I've got with the process, the more I leave it to chance or not chance, but sort of give myself, you know, I figure it out as I'm going along. So I have, I always have an ending. I always kind of know where I'm going. And because I seem to write series books, even though I've, I've never set out to write a series, I've always pretty much started, you know, just writing a book with a character and want that to be the best book. And then, and then they just seem to just hang around and demand more for like this one. They dog objects <laughs> was supposed to be self-contained, but then everyone really liked the two central characters, Lawton and Tannehill, who's mm. this, um, who's my Met cop, who's also an outsider because he's mixed race. He's Pakistani, Irish. And so, and he's really good, but he's young. And so he's kind of being promoted a bit because it's slightly that, oh, look, person with brown skin, we can put them forward and whatever. But he's also yeah. very good. So he's kind of conflicted. So he's an outsider mm. as well. And Lawton's an outsider because she's a sort of, you know, she's a, she's just an, she's an academic. And in the first book, she absolutely doesn't ever, she has a golden rule that she never, ever, ever works live cases because of something that happened in her past. And then this body turns up in this, this man, in this mansion overlooking uh, Highgate Cemetery. And uh, there's no forensic evidence. It's been wiped clean. And there's four objects around her, the dark objects of the title. Uh, and one of which is a, her book, a book she's, an academic book she's written called How to Process a Murder Scene. And then the killer leaks photos of the scene, the stage scene to the press. It becomes this massive thing. She's in the spotlight because she's kind of blamed. She's also the estranged daughter of the chief of police, which makes things awkward. And so she decides in this book to... um break the rule of a golden rule of a lifetime uh because the quickest way to get back to being a quiet academic away from the spotlight is to solve this crime as quickly as possible and then when she starts doing this and so she's working with Tannehill, who who is the actual detective on the case um and and the more she goes into it the more she realizes these weird objects around the body that don't belong in the house and are as much to do with her and her past as they are with the victim and so, so at the end of that book, she's now got, she's got a bit of a taste for it. She kind of, she's come out of herself a little bit. She realizes she's 
she kind of quite likes the whole cut and thrust of the live the live investigations. She also quite likes Tannehill. Tannehill quite likes her. <laughs> Tricky. So so yeah, so the clearing is is sort of I mean, yeah, it's self-contained. You don't need to read the first one, particularly if you've listened to this podcast, because I've just told you the story. Um <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. So with so with that, I kind of like I didn't plan it to be long-winded, going back to your question, is um I sort of I certainly didn't plan a second book. It was going to be a self-contained book, but then just because people like those characters. And also because, I've, you know, ideas come to you all the time. I had this mm-hmm. other idea, that the idea that's central to the clearing of people going missing and it's something to do with some sort of urban legend sort of thing. I had knocking around and it just suddenly I thought, oh, that would be a good thing for Lawton to look at next. And so I sort of, I kind of plotted out a little bit of figuring out how how I could plug her into you know, legitimately into somewhere that's that's sort of out of her comfort zone. And then once I figured that out, I just thought, no, yeah, I need to write that one. That's quite good. I quite enjoy. I'd quite like to. It's always like I always kind of write a book that I'd quite like to read. That's it. That's my starting point. I mean, by the end of it, I never want to read it again. (laughs) All the drafts and the various things and the copy edits and the American versions and all that kind of stuff. And by the time it's done, by the time it's by the time it's is actually a book like this, a hard book, I kind of just, yeah, never want to read it again. Just because, like you know, you know, it's like telling yourself a joke for a year. It's not. Yeah. It's not funny by the end of it. It's not funny after about the fifth time you tell yourself it. But you've <laughs> got to. You just got to have faith that it was. It is still funny, and you just make it as good as possible. Is that what you hate or like least rather about the writing process? Then having to reread over and over again. No, I. The, the thing I hate least, the, the, or hate most about yes. the writing process is how long it takes, and I think it's partly just because. Um, I come from TV, which is quicker, mm. you know, you, and it's also more collegiate. You've got a whole bunch of people and you just come up with an idea and you collectively bring it into life and you, it's noisy and you have meetings and people are doing different things and it all comes together. And, you know, you can, within very short period of time, you can go from an idea to having something on TV, particularly now, you know, sort of the, the kind of tools of production are so accessible and flexible. Mm. You know, you can shoot something on your phone and edit it on your phone and it's broadcast quality and it can go out. And but writing a book is just it takes what it just takes a while. You know, you yeah. it's even and I, you know, I'm not a particularly quick writer, but I'm also not not as slow as some. And I just get frustrated by how long it takes. Particularly because you're figuring it out and you go, Oh, I know where it goes now. And but then you have to sort of do it. And it's there's it there's mm. a certain I'm very I'm very envious of people who can, you know, just write. 5,000 words a day, seemingly. I can never write five. Well, I can write 5,000 words a day right at the end when I know what's happening and I'm like in the middle of the night and chasing a deadline, but only then. I can't do it regularly. Do you just focus on one book at a time? There's no overlap, I'm guessing. Um, Yeah, mostly. I mean, there's always, I always have ideas, Mm. have really good ideas when you're in the middle of another book and they sort of (laughs) taunt you. They're like, ooh, I'm a good idea. Why don't you come over here? And you're like, no, do this. And you're like, no, me, I'm shining you. And you're like, yes, you are. And I must, and you have to, and so I just write them down and put them there. And, but often when you get a good one, you still, you think about it, you know, it sort of keeps sort of, doing that thing come yeah away from the boring idea that you've been doing for six months this is much better but that and I think it's very hard I think everyone does that though and you just need the discipline to sort of you know trudge through to the end of the first draft and um Mm. I actually quite like doing second drafts because again I think from my background in tv it's you know you you edit and you re-edit and it's part process part of the it's you know I'm used to that as a creative process whereas I think sometimes when people just come are pure writers and they come to it the notion of 
doing lots of drafts and really radically changing something is quite painful. Whereas mm. I'm just used to it. I'm just used to people coming in and going, that's rubbish. Start there. <laughs> He's don't like the guy with the beard, get rid of him, you know, all that sort of stuff. And you go, okay. And you just change it all. Um, and you know, it's sort of, yeah, I'm not precious about stuff at all. I quite like it because I just know it's always making it better. You know, second draft mm. is where you can look clever. First draft is where you just kind of bumbling about and knocking <laughs> things over. And just figuring it out. And the second draft is where you can kind of get rid of all that and sweep up all the stuff you've broken and make it look like you knew what you're doing all along. Mm. Nice. I think you're the first author we've spoken to who has said, correct me if I'm wrong, Frankie, that you quite like the editing process, at least oh, yeah. at first. Yeah. No, I do. I do like the editing process. I kind of get quite excited by the edit process because I just sort of feel like it's it's where but always in TV, my favorite place was in the edit suite, you know, sort mm. of coming up with an idea and setting up shoots and going on a shoot and filming and, you know, planes flying overhead and, and difficult talent and locations. All of that is a pain in the ass. It's just so painful and slow. I mean, not slow as writing the book, but it's just difficult <laughs> and you must, you know, it's exhausting because you just got to keep going. And then once you get into the edit, you've got your rushes, you've basically got your raw material, you've gathered all the string you need, and then you all it's all a process of making it better. Mm. And as soon as you just get a shot that you think's fairly average and put some decent music on it, immediately you're like, wow, that's actually quite good. That looks like telly. And then, you know, you get rid of all the crap and get, pick the best shots and put it all together and write a decent script and everything. And all of a sudden, what looked like a kind of mess suddenly becomes a slick piece of telly and good storytelling. And so... I think from 20 years of doing that, I sort of, I kind of, I like when, once I get, once I get past first draft, I'm really quite, you know, I quite enjoy that just because it is making it better. That doesn't mean say, you know, when I get the notes, I sort of take them all on board and go, yep, I can do that. There's always, (laughs) mostly I do, but like, there's always two or three things in everything that the editors are going, no, this, we need to change this for whatever reason. And and we end up having a little battle about it (laughs) because they want it. Yeah. It's, there's always something. So yeah, I'm not a pushover, but I'm very, yeah, I like, I, I just think everyone, you know, everyone, particularly in publishing, they just want to make it better. There's no, yeah. in TV, there's quite a lot of genders going on. There's people like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm the exec, therefore I need to say something. And they'll yeah. say something stupid that you have <laughs> to do because the exec said it. And you're just like going, but that's a stupid idea. That's clearly going to make it worse. <laughs> and they, oh, we'll try it anyway. And then they'll watch it. And everyone can, in the room is watching it going, yeah, that's worse. And the exec goes, yeah, you see, it's working much better now. Oh. And they just have to do it to justify it. And you just like going, or a commissioner or whatever. And you just like going, this is just like, and, they, and everyone's like, well, don't upset them because we want to get another commission. And so there's all of this going on. So kind of mm. creatively, it's a bit frustrating. Whereas in publishing, every, you know, every note I've ever had has been considered. You know, mm. In TV, there's a sense that they'll watch it whilst they're on their phone. And, and you, know, you get notes going, oh, I don't know who this person is. And you're like, well, that's because you were probably not looking at the screen when the caption came up saying, this is this person who yeah. does this job. <laughs> yeah. you know, and, yeah, and they go, well, we probably need a caption. And you just nod and go, yeah, great idea. Great yeah, idea. I'll go and we'll do that right now. <laughs> and then you don't change it. And then they go, yeah, it's much better. And, you know, Mel Brooks, sort of, that Mel Brooks quote, quote has recently gone viral uh, where he was like, you just say yes to everything. Go, yeah, great idea. Yeah, yeah. And then don't do anything. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's that was so where they tr- wanted to, wasn't it, where they wanted Blazing uh, the, Saddles. They wanted, and- they wanted him to fire Gene Wilder, didn't they, yeah. or something? Yeah, yeah. And he's like, yeah, and he's, he's gone. Like, yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, he's gone. He's, yeah, you're so right. And they just carried on. I know there's something, this, yeah, there's something very smart about that of just swimming with the tide rather than fighting it and just, you know. And actually, it's clever because you think if you're paying that little attention to the point where you miss the fact that 
your thing that you're asking for you're you're obviously not gonna you're probably not gonna even watch it second time around. you're just gonna send an email going yeah yeah it's fine so yeah so there's a bit of that but again going back flipping it back to books (laughs) i just think you know publishing is full of really nice people because everyone Mm. in publishing loves books because they're all really bright people who could probably earn a lot more money working a lot less hard doing pretty much anything else but they love it and they love books and there's a passion there and they care. And, you know, and so when they read a book and give you notes, it's not, it's considered. And so it, you, you should listen definitely because everyone wants to make it better. No one's doing that thing of, oh, I just need to be heard. Everyone is trying to tell the best story in the best possible way. So again, yeah. and again, that's one of the reasons I like editing because I sort of feel less lonely. It's like, oh, everyone's in on it now. Everyone's, yeah. a few people jumped on the ship and we're all trying to get it, you know, safely to port. I, you know, I love, I love that. Yeah. Sorry if I'm weird and other authors don't like doing that. It's not weird. But they're like wrong. A bit of weird. They're wrong. <laughs> yeah, they're weird. You're the they're right wrong. One. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they don't wear cravats. They need more <laughs> yeah. cravats in their lives. Clearly, that's the main note they get from their editors that they ignore. I think. So yeah, more cravats. <laughs> yeah, Where's the cravats? Absolutely. Maybe some spats. Oh, it rhymes with cravat as well. I mean, cravats and spats. I know. There exactly. you go. That could be the title of your autobiography. We see we're on a roll. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> With a subtitle, a really slow, whatever I said. Boring. Uh, you know, really, yeah. sl- really boring suspense sequence. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. This is going <laughs> to, these babies are going to sell themselves. Watch that one fly off the shelves. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Sensation. Going back to character, I want to talk a bit more about uh, Dr. Lawton Rees. Uh, and your Goodreads uh, version aside, people completely agree and are so happy that they're back. She's back with Tanil yeah. for another book, which is great. You, your instincts were correct there. And she, as a character, has had quite an evolution from the first book, hasn't she? And she's been through a lot of trauma, as you alluded to in your synopsis that you gave. But how did you go about writing trauma? I always find that such a fascinating thing. Um, well, I think, I mean, with, with Lawton in the first book, in part of what the trauma is and what she went through and what is this sort of thing that that is unresolved within mm. her is is one of the mysteries you know as you yeah. find out through it she discovers it herself because it's one of those things because often people when people experience trauma they bury it and even misremember what it is and it's only and and then avoid it because they don't want to go mm. back there because and actually when you go back the thing that you remember the, this defining thing that you think happened actually didn't happen that way and it totally and that's yeah. what happens to her but like, I think, you know, on a very small level, we all, we've all we've all experienced trauma in our life. You know, bad things have happened to us. I've, I've listened to your interview with Karen Slaughter and you oh, asked yeah. a similar question and she said, yeah, shitty things happen to everyone. And it's true. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so on one level, that's a good thing because you think, well, okay, but then the reader can empathize with all these things because whatever they're going through pr- probably will resonate with everybody. You know, no, everyone's just going to go, oh, stop whining. With your, <laughs> your mum got killed, whatever. <laughs> You know, it's um, but with a, with a book, what you can do is you amplify it, you know, and you can amplify that experience that people have, and by by putting your character through a worse or the worst version of whatever it is, loss, grief, whatever, and and I just think it sort of it enables you. It's part of the escapism, is you know, because mm. I like reading heightened books with heightened characters and heightened situations. And, you know, and even in, when you read nonfiction, generally you're reading about someone who's done something amazing mm. or has come up with an amazing thing. So it's a heightened take on, on life. And so, you know, partly as the reader, I kind of like those kind of characters who've been through something extreme and just looking at how they process that. But also as a writer, it's just quite interesting. It's, it's an interesting thing to research that and just figure out and not only just, not just research it on a sort of very kind of clinical way, but also 
as a as just think about it as a human mm-hmm. and go well how would I react who do I know who's been through things and how has it manifested in them and and you sort of you know writers are all magpies we just steal <laughs> things from things that, you know a learned experience and you've just got to trust that the things that you have seen witnessed thought about processed will be similar to other people and so with her you know I did I kind of looked at she's she's kind of she's slight she's slightly obsessive she's obsessive about order and you know the reason she's an academic is and looks at cold cases is she's she's literally trying to write past wrongs from the past and solve things that are unsolved and spot mistakes in investigations that happened in the past that she can correct now and actually she kind of comes to realize that because her mum was murdered when she was 15 and she blames her dad who was the investigating officer who was supposed to put this guy away and so of course what she's doing is trying to fix that thing that happened in her past you know by by mm-hmm. by by trying to perfect the investigation process that went wrong then through her academic uh, work as an adult she's she's trying to fix that thing that happened in her past and so and initially she sort of distances herself from it it's very intellectual and she's kind of emotionally disengaged but because of the story and because she gets pulled into this case because her book's there and she you know becomes front page news um she's forced to confront it and so that's just interesting you know for me as a writer as a reader but also as a writer it's like you know how's that going to work how's she going to react to that mm-hmm. how is that going to strengthen her as a character how's that going to challenge her as a character because you don't you know you don't want your characters not necessarily to stay the same all the way through i mean some do and that works like james bond like never changes yeah he's the same book one i mean he puts goes through a few he's never really changed jack reacher never changes he's exactly the same and it's a fun read and you know it's there's something quite nice about that but it's a different kind of book something like this which is very much kind of a character-based it's more about it's it's as much about the drama that's going on in the hearts and minds of the characters as it is about you know the mystery that's being solved and whatever's going on in the you know in in the the central mystery of the book being solved and so you know and, and again as a reader i just sort of find those kinds of books really satisfying because you've got you've got the central thing of oh someone's been killed why who want to find out that but also then the people who are kind of make the agents who are making that or, or, or mm-hmm. who are solving that mystery throughout the story they've also you know we're all huge they make them huge you know life is messy and mm-hmm. yeah. people have problems and and it's kind of interesting just to sort of see how someone who who isn't superhuman, who's just kind of ordinary and, and but who maybe have a, has a certain skill set or a certain fortitude or whatever it is, just copes with that. I think one of my favorite one of my favorite ever books, uh, which I think was was going to be one of your questions, isn't it? Was it maybe? Well, well, potentially. Well, well, we normally do at the end what book you'll be better. Oh, okay. With. Oh no. Well, oh. I'm I'm preempting. But one of my favorite <laughs> ever books is um, Silence of the Lambs. I just think it's an yeah. absolute great work book. Of genius. And the character of Clarice, you know, the thing about Clarice is, you know, she's 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 a rookie agent. She's a rookie FBI agent. So she's she hasn't got this skill set that normally you would find in those kind of certainly mm. when the book came out that you would find. But what she has is bravery. She's incredibly mm. brave and yeah. she will go and do things. And she's smart as well and instinctive. But yeah. she's it's her bravery that, you know, and the thing about her bravery is it's it's it is a, it is a superpower, but it's also a very accessible superpower and i think i and and i think a lot of my female characters have that i think i want them to be i want them to succeed not by becoming a sort of kind of proto male 
you know yeah. and you know i mean even though she's she can kick ass lawton she's kickboxer she's small and i, I describe her as she's got big person energy she's you know she's very mm-hmm. charismatic and forceful but actually she succeeds not necessarily not by becoming a man but by actually by kind of leaning into her 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 characteristics not just as a woman but as a person and so you know it's always i just think it's just kind of an interesting journey to follow that mm-hmm. with a character yeah she's pretty cool we um, ask every author that we speak to if they had to be any character from their books, who would they be? What's your thoughts? Um, well, probably, I mean, I kind of, I do like Tannehill. He's a really mm. nice, and also my son's middle name is Tannehill. So, oh, uh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. He's Stanley Tannehill Toyne, and, uh, <laughs> and he, the, my character's Tannehill Khan. And Tannehill is um, from my wife's side of the family. She's, her family come from Northern Ireland. Mm. And Tannehill was a family name that then became a first name because, you know, I think it was, they had daughters. It was a tradition, I think, in Ireland where if you had daughters and therefore you're going to lose the family name, you would name. Ah. It became, it became like a first name, you know, Tannehill. Um, and so, and I just like it. I mean, it's a good name. Yeah. And so, I, so there's that element, but also he's sort of, he's kind of like, there's one of the things you can do as a writer is you can kind of create characters who are sort of better versions of yourself. Yeah. Like he's got like he's because he's mixed race. He's kind of got dark skin. I don't tan at all. I go pink mm-hmm. and I go freckly. Yeah, and then it, I and then it itches and flakes off. That's my that's my summer. Uh, and he's just dark skinned and he's got dark hair and you know he's he's got blue eyes. When I was a kid, I was I've got green eyes. I always wanted blue eyes. I always thought green eyes were kind of a bit weird and blue eyes were like <laughs> cool because Paul Newman had blue eyes and mm. Steve McQueen had blue eyes and all this sort of stuff. So, and he's just, he's also, what I wanted to do with him is, you know, often in these, it's not really, I mean, they're not really police procedurals, but I would, I describe them as police procedural adjacent, mm. as in there is a mystery going on, but the focus isn't on that. It's not all sort of, right guys, what are we going to do next? You know, it sort of comes in, it's driven more by Lawton, who's who's more of a free agent and is sort of thinking her way through it rather than mm. going through all the dull procedure. And it is dull. Yeah. I've looked into it. It's pretty boring. <laughs> most of it. And so I just like the fact that he's he's not front and centre. And he's actually, he's almost, if you look at it, like in the tr- if you look at tr- traditional sort of buddy type thing for a police procedural, Lawton would be the male character and mm. Tannehill would be the female mm. character, just in terms of their characteristics. Yeah. Because yeah. he's very, he's actually very, you know, sort of sensitive and and nurturing and thoughtful and and deferential to her as well. You know, one of the things she likes about him is that he's not intimidated by it because she's really bright. You know, I like one of the things I'm doing in these books is, which is a conscious thing, is like in re- in a Reacher book, you know, at some point he's going to fight three guys in a bar. You know, yeah. it's just like it's one of it's like it's going to happen. He's going to yeah. headbutt someone. He's just <laughs> going to take happen. out to him. Sweet, yeah, and you and you look forward to it. Yeah, with these, every single book, Lawton basically has a run in with some misogynistic kind of patriarchal idiot and she just intellectually runs rings around them and I, that's they're my lawton fights you know that and I, I write them like I, I write them like fight sequences you know i kind of i really i spent i always spend ages on them so in this one there's a couple there's one where she goes she goes into the the the, the sister who who has a look who, who made the cop put the um that was a great the, scene as well that was a good things. fight scene i enjoyed that very much with the yeah oh, yeah I'm yeah film you okay. until you do this yeah no i mean well exactly well she's yeah. a bit like lawton yeah she does yeah. that thing and she forces them to do it by kind of shaming them into it and then and then and then she kind of loses it later in a pub and gets arrested and gets thrown in this horrible jail yeah and they're keeping it and then lawton turns up and just absolutely wipes the floor with this sergeant and makes her release her you know mm. because she knows the law better than him 
and she's not, you know, she's not horrible to him. She just knows the law better. And then there's a bit where they want to get some CCTV footage and everyone's going, no, no, you can't look at it. And she just kind of like absolutely spouts chapter and verse and says, well, actually legally, blah, 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 blah. And they go, okay, we could actually, you know, mm, who's the key, you know, who's the designated person? Oh, you haven't got one. Oh, well, you're breaking the law. So I could report you or you could, (laughs) you know, and I love, I love those sort of things where people are just sort of using their guile Mm. to get what they want, but in a way that, isn't leaving someone, you know, sort of spitting teeth out. It's sort of, it's, um, you know, pride is bruised, but little else. And I just like that, that Lawton is just smart enough to sort of, mm. you know, outmaneuver people. And they're, yeah. they're hard scenes to write, but I think they're essential scenes because it's, it's key to her character is that she's just, she's just smarter than everybody else. The really. intellectual yeah. headbutt that she delivers. It's the intellectual headbutt. That's what yeah. it is. Like yeah. that. It's the intellectual pool bar fight scene. <laughs> yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> that's good uh okay so you'd be tanil though not lawton or is there a bit yeah of Tannehill. yeah yeah because yeah because he's nice and he's there and yes. you know he's quite handsome yeah yeah. But he's, he's quite cool. i reckon he's swell i reckon he's yeah reckon? and also cadet. you know he he's good to his mum you know yeah. he's, he's a nice, nice dude yeah you know he's it's like he's yeah he's very and and he's also it's one of those when you're writing it it's very easy for those characters to just become secondary and just sort of like fade away and just be there to hand a cup of tea or you know open the doors and stuff and and actually i think it's one of those in the development of their characters he's kind of key because he's quite he's quite solid you know because mm. he comes from like an unbroken family background his parents are very supportive his mum thinks he's great she kind of even watches his press conferences because she's yeah. you know whereas you know lawton's got none of that she's yeah. sort of her mum was murdered and she, she she basically had nothing to do with her dad for like best part of two decades and you know it's sort of he's the opposite of her mm. and it's just quite interesting and nice doing that it's quite you know one of the again preempting your questions but there's that you know, one of the tropes I dislike or I sort of am tired of is that whole thing of the cop who's, oh, he's divorced and he's, you know, this guy's five years away from retiring. He's slightly alcoholic. He doesn't yeah. sleep very well. He's got bad habits. He's he's a maverick. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, he's having to deal with some idiot young person who's been, all of that. I mean, they're kind of fun, but they, they've been done to death, you know. Yeah. And if you want to, re- I don't want to write those because, there's hundreds of those that have been done really well. You know, mm. you think of Rebus, Bosch, you know, Thorne, all of these yeah. characters, you know, they're, they're out there and they're done. And that, that territory is well trodden and occupied, you know, mm. that, that, that mine has been, that seam has been mined. Um, and so like coming up with a Tannehill, who's none of those things, but also has his own little kind of things to deal with is, is sort of, is interesting and also a bit of a challenge. Yeah. It's a nice change, I think. (laughs) Yes. So you are very clearly a big reader, unless all of the books behind you are for decoration. It's just for show. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, well, this is going to be awkward then. What's the last book that you read and loved? We are always looking for more recommendations. Uh, Well, fortuitously, it just came out yesterday and it's um, M.W. Craven's new book, Fearless, which is not a Tillian Poe book, although Mm. I'm a big fan of those as well. And He's quite good. Have you read Fearless? <laughs> no, I've not read Fearless yet, but I've so read it's just some other oh, ones. It's good. It's really good. I'm, you know, one of the great things. One of the things I love about being a writer is you get sent early copies of books, of book, particularly of books that you would pay money to read <laughs> yeah. anyway. And so I got Fearless a couple of months ago, I think, and it was one of the, and it was one of those. You know, sometimes a book just catches you right, yeah. and I was, um, I was just in the mood for something like. That. It's very, you know, it's kind of. 
it's like it's a proper it's like a reacher type you know sort of ex-special forces guy who's now a bit of a sort of lone maverick who gets pulled into this case it's just so well done it's just Mm. you know and it's at one it's like an absolutely belting holiday read it's one of those where you just pick up and it just grabs you and just pulls you through the story and there's not a dull moment and he's such a good writer and it's you know i imagine it will be the first of you know many his his character's ben koenig who's a sort of ex sort of special forces dude and he's just great i know it's got that you know one of the things that i like about the tillian poe books is that they're really well put together you know they're really well constructed and written but the characters are just fun to hang around with mm. and they're funny you know yeah. And, yeah. and and he has that in this as well you know it's sort of it's just fun it doesn't take itself too seriously but but also it's it's you know really well put together and it's um yeah so it's just a great it's a great read so fearless by mw craven brilliant going straight on my tbr thank you now it's time sarah (laughs) what (laughs) well unfortunately simon i have some terrible news that i have to deliver to you now and that is you have committed a crime so terrible so heinous in nature that you have been charged and sentenced to death for it oh man that's uh I never thought they'd catch up with me. Well, this is the first question of this is, what did you do? What did I do? Uh, Confess. I probably probably brutally murdered some of the commissioners slash (laughs) talent I used to work with in TV. The ones you alluded to earlier. Okay. The ones, yes, I referred to my previous answer. Yeah, that's probably (laughs) that. I probably flipped. Okay. Or, Or maybe, or maybe... Like almost almost any member of the current government. Very fair on both much. sides. Yeah, it could I could see myself battering several of those to death. Nice. I think you'd have a lot of volunteers to help you. Yeah, with no, that no, exactly. As well. I don't think anyone would have seen anything. Yeah, no. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> somebody sort of did. Some snitch yeah, was yeah. there. Some knock. Yeah, from I don't know, like Farage or something. He was there. Reese Mogg. Reese Mogg. Oh, Mogg's he's such in. a snitch. You can tell. Fabricant. Yeah. It's fabricant. Yeah. God, you can. He's dropped me in it. You can pull the wig Unless over I his eyes, him. but not the wool. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's good for the list, um, for sure. Okay. Well, yeah. uh, un- an undisclosed number of uh, TV execs, commissioners, and MPs have unfortunately been murdered. I went on a spree. I just snapped. <laughs> do you know what? If you're going to do it, <laughs> go I mean, on exactly. Style. I did one, and I thought, I just, yeah, might as well it's carry very Moorish killing MPs and commissioners. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Okay. So you've done that. Unfortunately, you were caught uh, and you have been charged. Mm. But some good news is that we will provide you with the death row meal of your dreams before you kill you. Right. So that makes it better, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> okay. of sugar. Uh, so what would your death row meal be? Um, well, it would probably be a, a Toyn family favourite, which would, funnily enough, we ate last night. And it's one of those where... So well, like when you have kids of various ages, and I've got mine range from 11 to 19 with a 17-year-old in the middle. Wow. At various points, you know, that dis- the, 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 they're younger and, f- and pickier and whatever. So finding a meal, the sweet spot of a meal that you like mm. and that they like as well, and that is sort of healthy and, you know, is <laughs> almost about, it's like, it's like finding a TV show that you all like watching. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, there's a Venn diagram of what they like, what you like, and there's a tiny intersection mm. that you can all watch, you know, in which stuff like Friends exists and Modern Family and um, yeah. Great British Bake Off, stuff like that, yeah. you know, and it's, it's with food, it's the same. It's like finding something that the, satisfies all palates and makes you feel wholesome as a parent is very hard 
So the meal is, it's basically, it's very simple. It's like you get, you roast peppers. So you chop peppers up and, and you put them in and you roast them in an oven, like for about 160 degrees for about 30 minutes. And so they caramelize and go all nice Mm. and gooey. And then 10 minutes before the end, you put on sliced halloumi just on the top. Okay. So they go all brown. Yes. And then with that, you just have that with wraps, with hummus. And maybe you can put some greens in there, a bit of salad, Ooh. maybe a little packet of, you know, of grains or something. Just heat those up. Bit of rice. even brighten. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you just put all that in there, make a little wrap. Boom. Gone. And, I, and the reason I have that is, A, it's really delicious and I recommend you should try it. I will. Um, but also it would remind me of my family yeah. uh, in the last few hours before I went down for my butchering of the Tory government. <laughs> Yeah. And we'll invite them in to have that last meal with you as a treat, if you like. You can yeah, have that'd it. Nice. Yeah, that'd be nice. You know, we can, you know, it'd be probably quite sad. I'd be, bit, you know, bit of a downer. Crying into my wrap. Probably not good for your kids in terms of trauma, but nice Oh, yeah, and it would probably spoil the meal for them forever, because <laughs> just remember. It's like, do you remember that, you know, when Dad died? Do you remember that, when we had this yeah. meal? The salty halloumi yeah. and the salty tears. It's just, yeah. Salt, there's too much salt. Of salt. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Salt. But, but that would be my choice. meal, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yum. I like that. That would, def- that would definitely be my desert island meal. That would be my sort of, you know, reminding me of my family. I'm going to give that one a try. Very good. It's really easy. Further good news for you. We are also going to bury you with, <laughs> we're going to bury you. That's great news. Is that good news? <laughs> Congratulations. We are I, going I to read bury that you. book and that's not, a, yeah, <laughs> that's but not we're good. We're also going to bury you with the book of your choice. What book are you taking with you? Can I take a book that's sort of in the shape and uh, of a spade that I could, <laughs> just in case I made a mistake? Yeah, well, pick the book you want and we'll make sure it has a special cover that has a metal spade, I don't know, embedded in it. Gardening book, perhaps with a free trowel we could throw in there too. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, Mm. yeah. Uh, Well, probably Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. If if what we're really talking about here is, you know, getting rid of all the the window dressing of me being there alive, um, if it's a favourite book. Uh, Because, like, when I wrote my first book, I reread it. I reread Silence of the Lambs because I just thought, you know, it's uh, that's the bar you know it's sort of like that's what i'm aiming i'm not going to hit it obviously yeah that's that's what we're that's what we're aiming for yeah and then as a sort of superstitious thing for the next for the first four books before i started writing the book i would reread the silence of the lambs every time almost as a sort of a like a ritual of like here we go this is what we're this is what we're after this is what you can achieve this is what you could have (laughs) won and then i think after the fourth one i stopped i stopped doing it for i don't know what reason Probably because I just thought, you know, I was just getting a bit superstitious and weird. So I should stop it <laughs> before I become that person who has to sort of, you know, like Rafa Nadal, who has to touch <laughs> everything before he plays a shot. I don't want to become that guy. I guess, yeah, I guess so. But I mean, you can't read that book too many times, to no. be fair. Or watch the film. Well, do you know, funnily enough, when I was reading it, I was always just taken. I, there's all, there were always sort of things I'd see in it that I didn't see before. I mean, it's so well written, and even though you know the story, and and actually, this is a good tip I'd give to lots of people about writing. As good um, is whenever I write a book, and I still do it, is I will I will think of books that I've read in the past that have impressed me that have similarities in terms of character or tone or setting or whatever it is, and I will reread them. and And there's something about rereading a book when you know the story and so you're not kind of pulled along by the narrative way and particularly if you're about to embark on writing something similar is you really do look at the mechanics of it you know you're yeah. like because you know how it affected you the first time you read it so you know it works and then looking at it you really can look at the nuts and bolts of you know chapter length or 
sentence length or choice mm. of words or use of devices, you know, similes, uh, you know, uh, how much they invoke a uh, kind of sensory descriptive language, you know, sight, sound, touch, taste, yeah. smell, all of those kind of things. Yeah. I think people often get locked up on what things look like and actually, mm. you know, sort of invoking the other senses is really powerful. Um, and so just looking at a book forensically with purpose, because you're about to write something similar, is really useful. And I still do it. I'll sort of, you know, think about if I'm writing a book of, of what book uh, might do that. And rereading and so rereading Science of the Lambs, because my first few books had, well, basically, I had a kind of Clarice character was, my, you know, first three books had this, uh, my central character, Liv Adamson, was very Clarice-like. And so mm. it sort of served a purpose to do that, which is maybe why after the fourth book, which was didn't have a Clarice character, I stopped reading it. But yeah, I, I mean, I remember like finding things like, you know, chapter five switches in Son of Salam switches to the first person. Mm. And I probably only picked that up on the third reading or something. And then I kind of thought about why that was and, and who that character and, and how that removes that character slightly. And, and it's just things like that you sort of think about. And I think maybe not consciously, but it's definitely will, will, it's, you know, it will kind of bleed into your own work in some way, maybe mm. not in a conscious way, but I think it's just a good thing. You know, like you just, you, yeah. you just read, read lots and write lots if you want to be a writer. I mean, it's, like, it's that simple. <laughs> that simple. Yeah. It's that easy. easy just do that. Yeah. Anyone Brilliant. can do it. Just read oh. loads, write loads, re rewrite loads. Yes. <laughs> learn, learn to love the rewrite process. Definitely do that. And yeah. then, um, and uh, away you go. It's too easy. Mm. Simon, it's been such a pleasure chatting to you. I We could go on for ages. Will you come back another time with your next book so we can ask you yeah. more questions? Because we, we didn't even touch on your TV show or anything. There's so much we'd love to say. But... There's just too much to talk about. Yeah, too much. We can, yeah, next time we can talk about Billy Carver. Yes. yes. Maybe we should get Billy, maybe get Will Carver on. I was just going to say that. Great idea. Get go. him. Wonderful. Well, where can people follow you online? Well, fortunately, I have a very distinct name. Uh, there you aren't, do? There's there's yeah simon toyne so if you google simon toyne all of my facebook instagram twitter will come up and my web pie i've got a website as well of course of course there's in fact there's two there's two simon toynes there's me and there's a, a guy who's quite an eminent choir master oh and, and we occasionally we occasionally get each other's twi tweets <laughs> so like all of a sudden i'll go oh i've got some twitter notes i'll have a look and it's all about some sort of choir thing that's happening in guildford <laughs> cathedral and i'm like yeah, wrong, wrong one and, I'm, like and, I'm, and, I'm, and occasionally yeah. he sends me mess messages going yeah someone wants a signed book and uh <laughs> So that's it. So yeah. So basically, if you look up Simon Toyne, I'm not the choir master. I'm the yeah. other one. That should be your a Twitter man of bio. Many talents, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, not yeah, not the choir. Yes, that should be it. Yeah. My Twitter bio is writer of wrongs. And yes, it that's be good too. Not not the choir master. Why? <laughs> <laughs> actually, the choir master sounds like a serial killer, doesn't it? That's a future it book. Does yeah. The choir master. Write that yeah, down. What would he do something weird. Oh, something with the conductor's stick or something. Maybe he leaves me. You, you find the bodies because you're in a weird place and you hear music. You know, that kind of <gasps> organs, <laughs> organs, and maybe uh, maybe there's organs everywhere. Exactly. <laughs> he leaves them everywhere. Oh man, well, we're taking really credit okay. on this next. Let's book. just let's let's do that. <laughs> when is the clearing out? When can people buy oh, it? Uh, this you mean this book here? Oh, this that one. book there. Yes, this hmm. book. That old thing. It it is out. Well, it's out. It's out on the twentieth of July. Brilliant. And yeah. it's immediately preceded next week by the paperback of Dark Objects. So wow. you're going on holiday. You need a little Amazing. read. Little Take read. both. Look at that. It's perfect. Look at that. A mini series. Pocket, hand luggage. It's not very heavy. There you go. <laughs> so that's Lawton One. 
But like I say, you don't need to have read Lawton 1 to read Lawton 2. You have, you don't. You can go into it any old which way. It's fine. Brilliant. Well, Simon, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure chatting to you. And I will see you at Harrogate. I'm very much looking forward to it. Oh, are you going to be, are you there sort of lurking about or you, have I'm you got a job? About, I'm also, I'm doing a panel, uh, but I'm also lurking oh, about. Yes. Lurking. Yeah, we all lurk about. But yeah. Oh, great. Well, I'll see you at Harrogate then. Yes. Looking That'll forward be very to nice. it. Yes. Are you not, uh, Sarah, are you not coming? She's not coming. No, I'm the introvert of the duo. Well, can't you just come and just hang around in the background and just yeah, sort of listen and nod and laugh and, you know. Smile she doesn't nicely. like to leave the house much. You know, but you know what? Harrogate, Harrogate and, and actually most writing places, writing festivals they're full of, they're full of introverts they are absolutely <laughs> Actually, I they really it. are yeah. no, they, no they really are they really are it's kind of the it's the safe it's a safe space for introverts mm. that should be the tagline for harrogate you're writing taglines <laughs> all over the place there you go um no but it's true and it's sort of um it's kind of and i think i think that's why people you know they're well attended because you know it yeah. makes people because because writing can be a very introverted solitary mm. thing but actually you know we are all part of a community yeah of, you know writers readers bloggers reviewers booksellers and it's nice when you go to these things to sort of see it manifest you know and it's kind of and everyone's really nice yeah. especially crime yeah. writers crime writers just i think you know it's it's a well it's a well kind of trodden trope that all crime writers are generally very nice and i think sure. it is because you know we just get all our demons out on the page yeah <laughs> they're, they're actually you know you will never meet a nicer bunch of people it's true certainly than crime writers at a festival because they've probably had a drink Oh, I was going to say Thursday night in the tent. <laughs> in the tent, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. That'll be fun. Well, Simon, thank you so much for taking up enough thank of your you. time. Really appreciate it. And uh, everyone, no, go thank out you. By it's the been clearing. a pleasure. Yeah, by the clearing, all, all dark objects, or both. All, all of Simon's back catalogue. Just go get them all. There's a whole back catalogue. Yeah, look, 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 and they match. Look, nice. Oh, it's beautiful colour yeah. matching. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, been a pleasure talking to you. Looking forward to Harrogate. Maybe persuade Sarah to come. Oh, she's, it, she's, I've tried so many times. It's a, she's an <laughs> no, immovable come, object. Come, be part of the, could be part of it. One of us, of one of us. Yeah, you can do it. I'll work on it. Anyway. But thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back soon with another episode of Red and Buried. Until then, happy Bye. reading. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. Do you believe in the existence of X-Files podcasts? Then the truth is in here. I'm Tony. I'm Sarah. I'm Carl. And I'm Armal Drake. And the X-Cast is devoted to all things X-Files, such as in-depth episode discussions. I love the eighth season being like, no, you're saying goodbye. And that's something pop culture doesn't do enough. Interviews with many of the casting crew from the show. I had to audition repeatedly. I mean, I went in, I read for Chris and Frank... Uh, or I think, I, no, at first I read for the casting director, Rick, and then I made it past that hurdle and read for Chris and Frank, had a lovely meeting with them. And special roundtable chats, commentaries, and fun bonus episodes. But this this is this is great, Mulder just having no idea what's going on. On this beautiful boat with people yeah. not really speaking uh, English. You can find us on the We Made This podcast network. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all good podcast players. We'll see you in the basement. But until then, trust no one.